0: For listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now present an encore presentation of Carmelite Conversations.
1: Well, hello, and welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. So excited to be back with uh, our listening audience uh, and uh, the opportunity to share with you the um, wonderful trip uh, that I just returned from a trip to Spain where we got to. Uh, Visit so many of the historical sites of the Carmelite order, uh, the foundations, the city of Avila. Uh places where uh, both uh, Teresa Vavala and uh, John of the Cross are today entombed and where you can uh, go and see and pray by their gravesites. A wonderful experience, and I I have a lot to share. And I know Francis uh, Harry, who is with me here in the studio, I know you're excited to hear some of those stories.
0: Oh, definitely. I I can hardly wait. I've been waiting for a couple of weeks, and I'm very excited. I'm so glad you're back, and I know we're in for a real treat um, on this program.
1: Well, before we get to that, let's uh, do what uh, we always do. And let's begin. Let's offer ourselves up to our Blessed Mother, uh, to the great saints of our order, and uh, begin our our discussion, our conversation in prayer.
0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This comes from um, a letter of St. Teresa of Avila. May you be blessed forever, Lord. May all things praise you forever, Since while I write this, I am not freed from such holy, heavenly madness coming from your goodness and mercy. For you grant this favor without any merits on my part at all. Either desire, my King, I beseech you, that all to whom I speak become mad from your love or do not permit that I speak to anyone. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.
1: Well, thank you for that, Francis. Uh, Uh, Let me begin by just saying that, uh, um, you know, there's probably more than an hour-long conversation, Francis. I know that you and I could have with regard to this material.
0: And that's okay. I I think we should go into all the details and not miss anything.
1: (laughs) I do appreciate your furnishing me ahead of time here, some reflection uh, questions that would help focus the conversation. I'm certainly willing to go in any direction you might want to go. But I do want to open it up as well to the listening audience and encourage our listeners uh, those who may either have uh, had the opportunity uh, to go to spain to visit some of the sites that we're going to talk about uh, or maybe you've never been as is uh, likely the case for so many of our listeners And uh, especially, I think, for those folks, I'm I'm happy to entertain any questions, any conversation that people from our audience might want to engage in. Uh, I certainly am very excited, still filled with the spirit as a result of what was a very wonderful uh, trip. And one of the things, Francis, you asked me was sort of distinguish between whether this trip was a pilgrimage or a retreat. Uh, I would say, in fairness, it was really both. We had uh, five Carmelite friars with us. Uh three, wow. th- three of those from the United States. <laughs> you were States.
0: spoiled. <laughs>
1: yes, we were. Uh, we had one from uh, Kenya, one from Vietnam, uh, one from India. Now, uh, the gentleman from India is in the United States now. Um, and, of course, we had uh, two from Holy Hill. So we really were blessed. And they did offer us conferences on a number of days throughout the 11 days that we were in Spain together, in addition to the pilgrimage, which I would really characterize more as sort of a cultural a pilgrimage culture in the sense that we combined history and culture and um, an understanding of the, uh, the the countryside that we were um, uh, visiting with the uh, contribution that it made to spiritualite uh, spir- uh, carmelite spirituality and, and in that sense it was a cultural uh, journey as well but nonetheless uh, very fulfilling very exciting and i'm, I'm Happy to respond to any questions you have.
0: Well, this pilgrimage was entitled Footsteps of St. Teresa of Avila and St. John the Cross. So you're following in their footsteps. And what I found interesting, yes, um, you're, you're talking about it being a pilgrimage and a retreat because you had conferences on it. But, you know, in this pilgrimage, you know, you're, you're out there visiting, so it's it's an outward journey that takes you to the interior journey. So you yeah. got the best of both worlds <laughs> with the retreat and pilgrimage. And you started yeah. in Spain in Avila
1: we we did we landed of course in Madrid uh, the major city uh, Avila does not have a, an airport uh, uh, of any kind uh, you would arrive in Madrid and then drive uh, a little less than an hour I think if I remember right we were a little sleepy by that time so uh, but I think it was about an hour to get us to Avila Avila is a remarkable city uh, in fairness and I got to visit uh, you know, a couple of major uh, locations, I, of course, did not go to Barcelona, which has its own reputation uh, as a resort area, but did see Madrid and saw a number of other uh, major cities in Spain. I, I can't imagine if somebody were to ask me, you know, where would they want to go in Spain, that Avila wouldn't be my first recommendation. And not just for the Carmelite connection but the beauty of the city is remarkable it is literally a medieval city um, perfectly retained the wall around the city is perfectly retained in fact uh, we were told that um, other than Avila there's only one other uh, city like this in Europe that's in southern France uh, where the uh, pristine uh, uh, Remnants of the original uh, city wall are still in place in the way that yeah. they are in Avila.
0: Well, of course, I followed you every day online by looking at pictures of all these places and, you know, with you in spirit. And I want to thank you for praying for all of us here at Carmelite Conversations and Radio Maria and all the listening audience. We really appreciate that. Uh, but I have a few questions to ask before you get into the details. I'm like, okay, why did you want to go on this particular pilgrimage? Now, I, I can guess myself, but I, I'd like our listeners to hear. Because I think there's Im- important for us to understand the approach one takes as a, as they go on pilgrimage. Because we we started talking about pilgrimages and retreats and the differences between in a couple of programs we did back in July. And if people want to go into the archives, they can find them on Radio Maria under Carmelite Conversations. Uh, but uh, would you tell us, you know, what did you, why did you want to go on this, and how did you prepare, and what kind of spiritual challenges you had?
1: Well, uh that's three questions. Yeah,
0: three questions. that's <laughs> <Tut, tut, tut.
1: laughs> Why this one? Uh I'll I'll be upfront and say there were other pilgrimages that I looked at, uh Carmelite uh journeys that I looked at. Uh, I have been on other uh pilgrimages and retreats of course, uh overseas, other countries. Um, I was looking for something that was distinctly Carmelite. Mm-hmm. I had looked at, for example, opportunities to go back to Italy or to go to France. Uh, both destinations I wouldn't mind uh, going to again. But I was really looking for the... Um, uh, opportunity to to explore the roots of our order. Mm-hmm. And I think, by the way, that this is terribly important. I think we as Carmelites need to understand the history of our order. Not, And by the way, someday I would love to travel to the Holy Land and visit the original Carmel, which, of course, as you know, um, it is not the original structure, but there is a Carmel that sits atop Mount Carmel today. Yes. I would love to do that. But in fairness, our Discalced Order began here in Spain in um, Avila, in Dorello, in Alba de Tomes, in Toledo, and so many other places that we're going to talk about. I wanted to know that history. And I will tell you, one of the questions that you asked uh, in your writing to me was, um, you know, what was significant about this? There is a uh, mystological aspect to our order yes. that traces its history in a very significant way Back not only, of course, to Elijah, but for our purposes, um, um, from today back to uh, Teresa, and that uh, mystological aspect of our order is still present. It is still present in the Carmels that I had the opportunity to visit. When you're looking across the grill, and we did on occasion get into the speak rooms to see the the uh, sisters in mm-hmm. um, seclusion. Uh, we were able to interact with them. And it struck me in a most profound way, perhaps most significantly in Toledo, which we can talk about in a moment, how these women were living exactly the life that Teresa had suggested that her sisters would live. Amazing. And and that was a very significant, uh, uh, I guess, revelation to me. It didn't change over time. It didn't sort of, you know, um, um enter into the world and keep pace with the world. The call to Carmel, which, by the way, I think is important. I don't believe Carmel is a place. I don't believe it is a convent or a monastery or a building. Right. Carmel is within each of us in a very large and, and significant way. And that is so true for the sort of uh, mysterious uh, continuation of the beauty of the order as as reflected in this place of its birth. But every bit is true in Dayton, Ohio, where our Carmel happens to be. And that impacted me, well, I think, in a very significant way.
0: That kind of reminds me of the transcendence of it all. Yes. And, and yes, how absolutely. beautiful. Absolutely. And you got to see these nuns that were, you know, living this life in in such pure spirits and and all together there. I'm sure that had to be pretty amazing.
1: (laughs) It was. And I I was amazed, of course, you asked, uh, you know, why this one. I think another answer would simply be Father Chowning, Father Daniel Chowning, who was uh, leading this retreat who himself has lived in Spain. He studied in Spain. He's, he's resided in some of the um, uh, Carmel's, the Friar Carmel's. Uh, in fact, one where we stayed in uh, Avila. We stayed in a Carmel that he himself had lived in for a time. Wow. And so he was able to gain us a lot of access to places that, in fairness, I think the normal uh, a traveler would not have the advantage of being able to get into. Yes. And that was uh, that was a great treat for us to be able to... As I say... Uh, get direct exposure and have communication on occasion with the uh, sisters living in, uh, in in cloister.
0: Okay, so how did you prepare for this? This is a, a little over a week. How did you prepare, especially spiritually? And and what were your challenges? Because typically, when you get ready to do a pilgrimage, there are challenges that come up. And I know one personally, one that you talked about with your business—that uh, you know, life around you sometimes gets a little messy right before you go do something like a wonderful pilgrimage.
1: Well, I read, uh, I reread major sections of uh, Teresa's life, her her own work, uh, which was recommended by um, uh, Father Chowning to all of us that were going on the group uh, trip, uh, because I thought that was important to understand the geography, to understand uh, some of the challenges that she faced, to understand a little bit of the political landscape, to understand Um, why she made some of the decisions that she made. And then I thought that would be helpful as I began to see these uh, various foundations.
0: And this Uh, would go for any pilgrimage that to prepare in advance in in this way would, would be very good. So that once you're there, you're not having to, you know, take that part in. You can, you know, go to a deeper level.
1: Right. You pick a pilgrimage, I think, a destination for a reason. As I said, in my case, the reason was I wanted to know the history of the order. I wanted to link back and tie to the history of the Order. Um, and, and so my preparation was to read about that foundation, to read that history. Uh, likewise, I read um, uh, Father Kiernan uh, Kavanaugh's biography of John and the Cross, oh. because that relates a lot of not only John's historical uh, experience in, in uh, moving to the Order from uh, the, um, the uh, Oak Arms, but also uh, ties in. Uh, his prayer experience and his growth and his spiritual maturity so that was very helpful in seeing john's development um, um from uh, his birthplace to uh, the first foundation at durello to uh, sergovia where he ultimately spent the latter part of his life although he passed away in andalasia which is in southern spain but they brought him back to sergovia which was his favorite place mm. so seeing those uh locations as a sort of um, you know, uh, reveal themselves in our trip and then being able to tie that back to those two sources of reading. I also read uh, there's a wonderful ICS publication on John, which is also full of pictures. So it was able to give me a little bit of a landscape of what I could expect to see once I got there.
0: All right. So um, now in the challenges. On
1: challenges, it's inevitable, right? When you prepare uh, to go and seek graces in the way that a pilgrimage typically uh, provides them. Um, you must expect challenges. I had some back and forth with uh, Father Chowning on this issue. Um, the government shutdown, which of course affected so many other people, also affected me. Uh, it was a um, uh, l- literally up until the last week uh, a difficult decision for me as to whether I would even go. Right. So uh,
0: one can typically expect some kind of <laughs> consternation before. You can
1: and i i don't know that it was necessary to share the confirmation that ultimately came although it came as a result of communication with father chowning uh but at some point i simply knew this was the right uh, thing to do my wife by the way had been saying it was the right thing to do all along so <laughs>
0: me too uh, I, <laughs>
1: That's it, Francis. Francis <laughs> just wanted to be out of the studio for a while, to be fair. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. And which saint did you take with you? I know I know you had Teresa and John there, but did you take your favorite Blessed Elizabeth oh, of course, with you? Yes,
1: <laughs> I took Elizabeth with me, as always. And I, you know, of course, Elizabeth uh, hails from France, but um, she uh, had such devotion to John. Uh, that um uh, it was perfectly appropriate i thought to have her there with me um but certainly teresa and john and john in a special way just because I, I also have a special relationship with with john i um i think i really got a sense you know it was one of the most powerful things is being in the very locations His birth house, which is there, and they know where, um, in fact, he was born. A very small town, by the way, a sort of rough and tumble town out in the middle of uh, nowhere, Fonte Verdo's. Um, being in Toledo and being at the location where he was held prisoner in Toledo and Mm -hmm. seeing where he escaped.
0: Did you get to see his little prison cell?
1: No, that's not there anymore. It's not physically there. It's been that portion of that uh, structure has been removed. We did see the courtyard that he fell into when he escaped and we saw what they project to be Um, the portion of the wall where he actually exited. And, you know, they know this because some of the structures that were there when John um, made his... uh his great escape if you will are still there mm-hmm. i mean castles don't you know they don't just go away <laughs> and so they understood where he was in relation to the river he talks about nearly falling into the river and so forth Well, we were standing on that very spot mm-hmm. uh i had a great experience there by the way mm-hmm. i was able to go to reconciliation right below the location in the wall where john is uh, said to have escaped from mm. his prison so that was a great uh, one of the great experiences i had um but, um, you know, the the uh, as I say the the ability to be in those very locations and most especially in Segovia, uh, where John spent the latter part of his life and climbing to the top of the mountain that he used to climb to where there's a structure that he actually helped build. Um, he used to crawl into the nooks in the in the rocks along the side of the mountain. Here.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of the caves of Elijah. <laughs>
1: Exactly. And I think for him, that's probably the experience that he was having. Um, and from that location, actually, you can look back across the river to Segovia to the castle, which is an amazing structure. It's just mm. an incredibly amazing structure. Um, in fact, it is said that Walt Disney on visiting uh, Segovia, Spain in his early life, Got the idea for the castle that then later represented.
0: Oh, isn't uh, that amazing! You know, a
1: centerpiece for Disney. I yeah. like
0: that tidbit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that gives me a new appreciation for Cinderella's castle.
1: Yeah, I wish, and of course, we'll try to get some of this hosted on on the site, but. Um, it really is just an, a remarkable structure. We got to go through the castle later. uh Portions of it, are and open,
0: the name of that castle. Tell our listeners what the name of that castle was. No,
1: you say it better. Alcazar, I, right? Alcazar, yeah, yeah.
0: Alcazar, yes, it's an amazing. You can, and there are great pictures online yeah. of it, and in, uh and you got to go all the way through that. That just.
1: Yeah, the portion that's still open to the public, which is significant, but. Um, you know, it sort of sits out on a cliff over the river and looks down into the valley, and just behind it is the cathedral. It's an amazing location. And I, I get the impression, I got this impression as I was sitting in John's very spot, the building that he helped construct, and looking back across the river and looking at the castle, and I thought to myself, John must have thought as he knelt here to pray, which he did every day, he would go up in the morning and then again in the evening, and oftentimes in the middle of the day. Uh, but he must have thought, um, what a beautiful structure, what beautiful work by the hands of man. But yet it pales in comparison to what he knew uh, he'd had the visions and so forth. What he knew uh, was his ultimate destination and what God had prepared for him um, with all its beauty and all of its, uh, 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 you know, sort of uh, uh, dominance of the countryside. This castle would have paled in comparison to what John knew he was uh, he was headed toward and what was waiting for him.
0: But I imagine just seeing that just kind of lifted your own spirits, too, um, and gave you this sense of that transcendence again, that mystery of Carmel, uh, that mysticism. You know, it's just exuding just from the, the, the view and, and, you know, knowing that, that he was there and, you know, what a mystic he was. and
1: Yeah, the simplicity of what juxtaposed John's side of the mountain, if you will, uh, 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 vice the castle, the simplicity of what was important to John. There was a simple little trail that wound its way with switchbacks up uh, to this high spot that allowed him to look across the valley below, look across the river, look to the castle, um, and it is a beautiful location, by the way, there's a running path that goes down through the lower Valley, just below the castle. Um, and it was flooded with runners, obviously, because it's just such a beautiful location. Uh, actually, interestingly, uh, father, Chowning indicated that at some point he would like to hold a retreat there, oh. there. so you might spend, <laughs> okay,
0: Lord, I want to go. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: and of course, this is where John is entombed. Mm. Um, as I said, he, he, uh, in the latter part of his life was in. Um, you know uh, some difficult times with the order itself he uh, had run afoul of the general of the order and um, he was still being persecuted uh, they sort of whisked him off to Andalasia where he ultimately died uh, but everybody knew that John uh, John of the Cross's heart was in Segovia it was the most beautiful spot as far as he was concerned yeah. and so there was enough political leverage to get him back uh, to Segovia and then um, he was entombed actually in the floor of the uh, chapel for some time i showed you the picture mm-hmm. uh, so you could actually look at his body which was, remained uh, incorrupt for a number of years most recently i think in the 1950s late 50s um uh, his body remained incorrupt they then oh. moved it to uh where it resides today in the picture i showed you directly behind the altar and so right. you can see it and john might have been uh a little taken aback with the elegance and the yes, beauty. Yes, because he would have of, preferred
0: uh, nothing <laughs>
1: <laughs> of the location that he was placed in. That's
0: but, okay. Uh, You're John's glorifying the Lord, so um, you know. I I imagine that they're on in that prayer spot of him looking out at the castle and and all the you know gives it, gives it kind of new shade of meaning to that title, ascent of Mount Carmel. Don't you think?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think John. Had a great appreciation for this idea of struggling, um, you know, even with some switchbacks back and forth. There, were, interestingly, there were two ways up this little landscape. You could use a series of switchbacks, or you could go go straight up, straight up. Uh, right? uh-huh. Which uh, way
0: did you go, Mark?
1: I went straight up, but <laughs> I wanted to get to the top. <laughs> Uh, uh, but, but, uh, you know, Ralph Martin has an interesting, uh, reflection on John's writings where he says, John was for those who wanted to go straight up. Yeah. He gave you the, the sort of direct path. And, uh, he said, I'm glad to know that there are switchbacks available. And I think Ralph was probably, um, you know, sort of, uh Reflecting on John's own experience, he may well, Ralph may well have traveled to Segovia and seen this spot because it's interesting that sort of uh, both options were available to you. But, yes, no question, um, John was, um, you know, hearkening back to the Elijah experience of hiding in the cave. There is a cave actually carved out where they believe John himself actually would have spent a considerable amount of Mm -hmm. time. um, And uh, further up, of course, there was a flat spot on top. Uh, where he could look back across the valley. He himself built a very small chapel uh, on the top of that uh, mount, one stage below the very top. But uh, it is said that he helped the laborers actually do the work of putting this little structure together so he'd have mm-hmm. some shelter from the, the weather and whatnot. But he spent um, hours up there.
0: And what was it like at his tomb?
1: Um, you know, there's a pervasive... Uh, uh, way of characterizing every place that we visited in Carmel. And you won't be surprised to understand that that word is silence. Mm -hmm. And it was as much the people's recognition of the uh, significance of the location that we were in that brought about that silence as there was the council to, you know, maintain silence. Uh, So I, I think... Uh, His tomb is obviously a very beautiful place. We had mass there, Mm -hmm. as we did at uh, St. Teresa of Avila's uh, tomb, uh, which is in a similar uh, posture above the altar in Alba de Tomas, the town of Alba de Tomas. Um, but okay. I think the words would be silence and reverence—the mm-hmm. recognition that you're in the in the presence of uh, somebody who, for us as Carmelites, but frankly for the whole Church, yes, yeah, uh, Doctor of the uh, Church, John yeah. Paul uh, the second visited these locations, both these locations. Ah, by the way, that makes um, it even better. <laughs> and and uh, you know, he certainly he saw he had a great devotion to John of the Cross. Anyway, but wrote his thesis saw, on him. Yeah, so. he he saw the significance of. Uh, of these destinations as as places uh, of pilgrimage places of prayer and places to reconnect as I said with this mystical um, charism um, and and the significance of what Carmel not only meant but what it means today we're going to talk about this I know during our uh, day of recollection a little bit Um, but, but what does Carmel mean today and what is Carmel's call today? I think it's important sometimes, and if I can use more worldly terminology for us to reconnect with our heroes, to reconnect with our past, to reconnect with the the champions and the founders and the people who gave us, uh, this life in Carmel. And that's really what this pilgrimage for me was about. Back to your earlier question, it was reconnecting with my roots. Uh, They may be 500 years old. But but those roots are very important, and I think it's important for all of us if we're in Carmel, to reconnect with our roots, the geography of the mystical experience, as well as the uh, uh, the significance of a of a number of key locations. Uh, that represent the founding of our order
0: well you know um, we need to take a little bit of of a break and when we come back from the break i think we need to focus on teresa a little and i can tell the way this is going we're just going to have to have some more programs because (laughs) i've got lots of questions for you but anyway we're going to take a few minutes break and we'll be back in just a minute Listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you're currently listening to is a rebroadcast of Carmelite Conversations. Well, we're back, and we've got Mark, and I'm just kind of interviewing him about this pilgrimage that he took. And we've been talking about um, John the Cross and the places that he was at there. But now we want to focus on Saint Teresa Avila, and so uh, talk about her and talk about Avila.
1: Well, uh, again, Avila is a wonderful city. I certainly would strongly recommend that anybody who has the opportunity to go to Spain. That would be very high on the list of uh, destinations. What uh, amazed me about Avila is its, as a city, its devotion to Teresa is every bit as rich and alive and enthusiastic, if you will, as what I imagine it would have been in the 1600s, 1700s, 1800s. Um, For example, on her feast day, I showed you some of the pictures of the procession that occurs on her feast day. Now, this city of 60,000... Uh, and that includes inside the wall as well as outside the wall. By the way, I should say that inside the wall is the medieval city, which r- rests on the top of a of a hill. Uh-huh. But when you descend and you go to the lower areas down where the river runs through the uh, valley.
0: And that would um, be outside of the wall, right? Right. Okay. It,
1: it's a normal city. It's okay. a normal modern-day city uh, that has the same architecture and uh and uh buildings and so on and so forth, you might in neighborhoods that you would expect to find in any of the the major cities in uh, in Spain. Um, but on her feast day. Actually, even before her face day, a couple of days before the celebration begins. What happens? Uh, so in the, in the Plaza Mayor, the major plazas, uh, within Avila, there's one large plaza and then there are minor uh, plazas. Uh, they begin having celebrations. They have traditional Spanish dancers come out, um, and, and perform uh you know these uh, these uh, dances that i imagine have been done in the spanish culture for years mm-hmm. um people start spending more time on the plaza uh milling about and and uh shopping and conversing and things just start to slow down from a commerce and in other parts of uh, busy life and, and people begin to focus on um this pending feast day that that's coming the night before her feast day in fact i made it out to the plaza and there were hundreds and hundreds of people uh, out this is late at night Um, I should say in Spain (laughs) it's a little interesting uh, culturally their dinners are very late at night we ate dinner every night at 9 o'clock
0: uh, I figured um, that was a European thing,
1: maybe, but it's certainly prevalent in Spain. Uh, <laughs> and then, of course, by uh, way of compensation, they sleep a lot later the uh, morning. <laughs> so yay. <laughs> we would say that we were going to get up and go to mass early, and they would look at us and say, "There is no mass early." <laughs> uh, in fact, interestingly, many of their weekday masses are evening masses oh, and how they nice. go to those evening masses and then they go home and have dinner. Okay, um, it's still a very Catholic culture. I know that uh, the church has faced its trials in um, in Europe and and in Spain, uh, but certainly in Avila and the places, many of the places we visited, um, the Catholic uh, presence is still very prominent. And at least in Avila, most especially around Teresa, so the day of the procession, um, there are masses in the morning before uh, her procession begins, but literally the entire city shuts down mm. and, and the, the population feeds into the main squares. I
0: imagine it was pretty crowded too.
1: <laughs> it was very crowded. Yeah. In fact, they do, they caution you about, you know, making sure that your, um, um bags and so forth are, are well strapped to you or, you know, keep your wallet in a place it yeah. needs to be hidden <laughs> and so forth. It's just, you know, normal, same thing you would find in a, a New Year's Eve celebration in New York City, right? Um, but the people stream in, and uh, once the Mass in the cathedral is over, the very cathedral, by the way, that that uh, Teresa would have attended herself oh. uh, as a nun, mm-hmm. um, and in fact, the very church that she was baptized in is still there in Avala. In fact, most of the structures that would have been um, uh, there during her lifetime, including what they believe to have been her childhood home we went through that uh, structure itself um and the courtyard that she is uh, expected to have played in uh, is still there you can still see oh. all of this so it's uh, awesome. you really do get a sense of her um of her life in avila uh, the procession begins after mass with her coming uh, well actually there's a series of uh, uh, marchers and uh, military uh, bands and uh, women dressed in traditional Spanish garb. And then uh, the friars come out and the professors and the local dignitaries of the town. I mean, this is, you know, what what you would expect to see at any major uh, holiday parade in the United States, only it's all focused on Teresa. And
0: are there floats then?
1: No. Well, there are not floats in the way that we understand floats, but there are characters that are, uh, oh, six, eight feet high. They're carried on these large sticks. What
0: kind of characters? Oh, they
1: represent different countries. Okay. So, so they're, uh, you know, um, uh, a, a Chinese character or um, an Italian character. And what was the rep- point
0: of them being in there?
1: I don't know, to be honest with you. I suspect okay. it was... Uh, uh, All the people that follow her. <laughs> yeah, it may well be the, the influence of Carmel across the world. I didn't actually ask. I've got pictures of that as well, but... Um, There are a number of things that, um, you know, uh, are represented in the processions, not the least of which, of course, is Our Lady. I'll say more about that in a moment. But eventually... Um, Teresa comes out this large, uh, image of her, um, actually in that, in that pose of ecstasy that you're most familiar with. Ah, probably. the Bernini ecstasy. Exactly. And she is represented that way in many of the major, um, uh, churches associated, the, the cathedrals associated with her throughout Spain, but certainly in Avila. Um, and they process out of the wall, just beyond the cathedral and they literally spend hours processing throughout the city. So we watched the procession for about an hour just outside the cathedral. And the group I was with, uh, we went to one of the minor plazas and we were having lunch and, you know, just watching people milling about and sure enough, the procession came back around through that plaza. Wow. So they're at this for hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Blessed Mother is following her. And then they go to...
0: Is uh, it... Is it... What What statue of the Blessed Mother did they carry through? Uh,
1: I don't remember the name, but it's Our Lady of Cuba. It's actually okay. Our Lady of Cuba. It was explained to me. Okay. Uh, she, has, she has pink uh, garb. And again, I have pictures of this, but... Um, um, again, as I said, it's, I, I was told it's Our Lady of Cuba, and she has a great a Spanish tradition uh, to her, this this particular... Okay, that'd be interesting
0: uh, to find out about.
1: Yeah. Th- they process all the way back to the main church in Avila that is dedicated to Teresa. It's actually the one associated with the Carmel that we stayed in where the friars live.
0: Which was
1: St.
0: Uh, Joseph? Uh, or Dorello?
1: No, 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 no. It was... Um, um, the uh, oh, I, uh, well, it's Saint Teresa's. It's it's Saint Teresa's. But the uh, the I, I don't remember the name of the actual karma. You're putting me on the spot. Here, I'm sorry. <laughs> where we stay. You,
0: you have permission <clears throat> to have a blank mind at yeah, the moment. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> she stays in that church throughout the day with the Blessed Mother, uh-huh. and then in the evening. There is a play put on in the little courtyard that's out in front oh. of that. And it's a play about her life. Oh, cool. And oh, they yeah. talk, th- so they have actors and they have actresses. Her father's represented and priests are represented. And of course, uh, uh, St. Teresa's represented. Uh, we got to meet some of the, these characters actually afterwards because they used the Carmel that we were in as sort of a staging uh-huh. since it's right, uh, right nearby. And then they process out again from the church and it's an amazing thing as all these people are standing around. Um, the Blessed Mother moves out into the square and then Teresa comes out. They turn the Blessed Mother around and they sort of, you know, move the, the two large, uh, images of them. Uh, slightly together, as if to say, you know, that they're You're bidding speaking. each other farewell. And then the Blessed Mother turns and is walked out of the plaza, oh. and people are cheering. It's, uh, it's just an amazing thing. And I, I thought to myself, you know, one of the questions you had asked me, what, what impacted you the most about Teresa and the experience of Teresa? It was this that sixty thousand people turn out for this event, um, and the uh, experience, the significance of her still in this city 500 years later mm. uh, and what it means to that city that, uh, uh, Teresa Avila, of course hails from, uh, from their city. Uh, wow. so th- that, that was really quite a remarkable thing. And it's one of the things that I couldn't imagine our seeing here in the United States. You know, we certainly have feasts. We have the feast of the sacred heart and we have, you know, right. so many feasts that in, in certain cultures and in certain cities Are significant, Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't think it was anything quite like what I witnessed in Avila. It was really pretty remarkable. Uh,
0: I'm so glad you got to see that. Yeah. All right. So, so tell us some more. Um, You, you got to go to Avila and, and you see the city and then you get to see St. Joseph's.
1: Yes. We went to Incarnation first, which of course is where she, uh, entered religious life. Right. And that you can see as you stand on the, uh, outskirts of the, of the city.
0: And that's pretty large, right?
1: It's quite large. Yeah. Incarnation is quite large. We went to mass there. That was our first mass, uh, in Avila, was at incarnation. And you get to go into the room, um, where, uh, uh, Teresa, uh, resided the cell that she resided when she came back to, uh, be the prioress again at incarnation, you okay. know, this history better yes. than I do. Um, but uh that that was quite an amazing experience because of course this is the place where she made the transition from the the uh the old carms the ancient order to the discalced, right by placing her shoes on the on the step and saying you know i'm 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 moving on now um this is much later as she was sent back there but the uh the reform of course began with saint joseph's now saint Joseph's right. is just inside the wall of the city And though it's beautiful now, it's relatively small. And you can well imagine that at the time that she founded it, as we know from the readings, it wasn't a particularly significant location. Right. Uh, But I can tell you that there is great devotion there at St. Joseph's to uh, St. Teresa, of course, to the Blessed Mother. Um, We did not get to meet uh, the, the nuns there. They did meet with the friars, but that was one of the few locations where Um, We didn't actually get to meet with them and go Mm -hmm. into a speak room. We did have our mass on her feast day in St. Joseph's. So her first. Uh, Carmelite, Discalced Carmelite Foundation is in fact where we were able to h- hold Mass that day. And this is one of the advantages, as I said before, of uh, of having uh, Father Chowning with us. Now, if you say that I said this, though he may listen to us, uh, <laughs> I'm going to deny that I said this. But let me tell <laughs> you <on> this. Tape. <laughs> Father Chowning is a little John of the Cross.
0: Yes, he, he is. He really
1: is. <laughs> I, I will tell you at some other point, all of the, uh, uh, we may call them coincidences, but things that relate to uh, John of the Cross's life that then relate to Father Chowning's life, uh, not the least of which, of course, is his stature. Yes, size. I was going to say, <laughs> our listening
0: audience may not know this, but Father Chowning is rather short. Yes. I can, that's one of the few that I can see eye to eye because I'm short too.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, Father uh, 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 Fray John, uh, John of the Cross, of course, was only five feet. He's rumored to have been about five feet tall. And In fact, uh, Teresa, when she began, had just... Uh, uh Frey Anthony and, and Frey John, and she used to say, well, I've got one and a half, um, you know, fathers with me.
0: Yeah, but the question was, was she speaking about John of the Cross as being half because he was so short, or was she talking about the other one because he was half of a mind? And yeah. <laughs> the mind wasn't no, not quite know. fully we, developed as far as... probably far don't as... want
1: to speculate <laughs> on
0: that. Um, okay, so what surprised you about <clears throat> all these places, uh, in relation to Teresa? Um, I mean, you, you got to her tomb, you got to where she was at incarnation and her first foundation, and you're hearing about her life and you're having conferences about her. W- was there anything that, you know, like, oh, I didn't know that about her.
1: Well, let me say first that the, the feast itself was probably the biggest surprise. How well and how exuberant the city turned out for her feast you know i i would pray that in in the states we might someday see the same devotion to one of our own saints but nonetheless uh to to a great spiritual figure like that that was surprising and and certainly very encouraging um, i think one of the other things that was surprising to me was the distance of the various foundations that we traveled. We, of course, traveled by bus, right. but John and Teresa didn't. They would have traveled by uh, you know, horse-drawn uh, carts, and the wooden wheels, of course, would not have been particularly uh, in, in an enjoyable way to ride. These distances were not insignificant uh, from uh, Avila to Durello, for example, the first foundation for the Friars. Uh, which I'll say something about in a second, but uh, to Alba de Tomas, to Segovia, uh, to Toledo, these were significant distances that needed to be traveled. And I got an appreciation for just how um, much... A sacrifice had to be made by these individuals, not just John and Teresa, but those who founded these early uh, foundations, in order just to get to them. Let alone all of the obstacles they faced once they arrived at these locations. Right,
0: they weren't paved roads then.
1: Yeah, they weren't paved roads. They, as I say, horse-drawn. They traveled at night. They had to remain on the country uh, roads at night and so forth. Um, And, you know, we have to remember, Teresa, at this stage of her life, when she began all this, was 52. Right. So she wasn't a young woman, certainly not for her own time, especially. um, And yet she took on remarkable challenges, uh, as did John, even in his uh, youthful, you know, mid-20s. These had to have been significant challenges for them. Uh, So that was surprising to me um, in terms of just how difficult it must have been uh, to travel to these locations, let alone, as I say, overcome the obstacles they face with all these foundations. And if I can take it back to our own experience, Francis, I know uh, certainly with our foundation, you face a significant number of challenges, um, uh, both political and otherwise. But but my, my point would be, we have a uh, very difficult a challenge ahead of us to live up to the expectation of our parents <laughs> in terms of what Carmel... Did now there are some fourteen, if I remember correctly, I have the list, uh, foundations that uh, uh, Saint Teresa uh, established. All of those are in working order. Yeah, isn't All that amazing? All of those continue, and that's an amazing thing to think about these two people at the beginning what they did the obstacles they overcame and the impact that they've had through 500 years of history that we'll celebrate here in 2015
2: but we're better
0: off than them because they're already in heaven and they're helping us and they yes. didn't have them in heaven of course they <laughs> went to their predecessors i'm sure but we've got all of them so
2: we're, well, we're really
1: blessed and i think that's my point and again you know for our audience i would say we have some big shoes to fill. We yes. have a lot of work to do. And yes. oh, by the way, I mean, the world that Teresa and John grew up in was certainly not a perfect, the society and the and the culture and all the rest of it, what they had to overcome was certainly not perfect. They faced different challenges politically, culturally, and so forth. But we have uh, a world that in many ways is, is really struggling against darkness. And I said before that there is a mystical element to Carmel, uh, which is very rich. It's very real, like directly back to our to our uh, um, parents, John and Teresa. A- and we have some big shoes to fill to try and step up um, You know, an expansion of our own presence, shedding light into this darkness uh, of the modern world that we face. And that was another great experience for me of going back and seeing where they began and how they began and the places where this work was done uh, helped me to understand We, in our own uh, circumstances, though we don't face anywhere near, I think, the obstacles they did, we certainly have the challenges in our society that need to be met by the hope that is brought about by the mystical experience and in the encounter with Christ uh, that Carmel talks about.
0: Oh, definitely. Now, you you mentioned Durello and the First Friars. Yeah. What was
1: most amazing to me about Durello is they drove us out one afternoon uh, we went to Durello, to Alba de Tomás, which is where Teresa died. Right. Uh, and then to uh, Fonte Verdes, which is where John was born, all in one day. Um, and of course, we're driving in a luxury, you know, bus. I mean, really, a very comfortable bus. Um, and we're driving through the countryside, and we had been for maybe 40 minutes, 45 minutes, or whatever. we go through this little town, and I'm thinking, well, this must be Durello. Mm-hmm. This must be the first foundation. Of course, there are a number of houses scattered about. And the driver says, no, 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 this is not Dorello. And we drive for another 20 minutes and there's nothing. (laughs) We're out in the middle of absolutely nowhere. Imagine West Texas, but I mean really remote West Texas. It's very much like that. I'm familiar with West Texas. Yes, I am. And all of a sudden these two little structures pop up on the horizon, still some distance away, and you drive out to them. Well, that's the, the church, the chapel, the retreat house, which are essentially one structure. And then the caretaker's home is sitting there. Uh, just off to the side that's it that that's was it. all that's there and it's maintained with the exception of the guest house largely in the state that it was in uh, when john founded it now today it's it's maintained by nuns um but um
0: does it still have all the skulls in it that you know there
1: were skulls there yeah in the chapel did yeah. they
0: tell you i mean tell our audience about that
1: well I mean they they uh sit around the chapel. I don't know that there's much else to say about that, but um the the nuns of which I think there were eight or nine in that community mm-hmm. if I remember correctly um, are the ones who now maintain this uh First establishment for the friars. What so the, the
0: friars are, are the no friars. longer there. The
1: friars are no longer okay. there. Okay,
0: but right? I, I think the 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 skulls had were brought in by um, um, the guy that was with Saint John the Cross, and and John and him would use that to remind him of you know uh, the the end of life. You know, oh, no, and, no, no, no,
1: no. I understand that. Yeah. In fact, Teresa, where we visited Teresa's. Uh, there was always a skull oh, okay. and it was there. And of course, um, uh, you know, Teresa was adamant about making sure that we keep in mind, you know, Hey, uh, someday we're all going to die. Let's uh-huh. be, let's be very clear about what our job here.
0: So keep is. your eyes focused on Christ and on heaven. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what I think is striking about Dorello was the fact that, uh, this is where, at least for the friars, this is where it began in a very remote, very desert like location. Mm-hmm. And I think it's telling that, when we begin our spiritual journey, the degree to which we can enter the desert and get into that remote location and remove the distractions uh, from our, our um, uh, experience of God, we will enhance the likelihood that we'll be successful. And, and, of course, John was very successful. I think, to be fair, I think if John had a choice, he probably would have stayed at Torello. I think that was a place he loved very much, mm-hmm. um, uh, albeit, uh, you know, his first uh, uh, foundation. And he needed to move on. He needed to do other things. But, yeah, God had uh, plans for him yeah. to teach us. <laughs> but it is a very remote location. I do want to circle back just quickly because I said I would a moment ago, and I don't want to forget this. Uh, and, and we're going to talk about this in our uh, individual day of recollection that's coming up for us here in Dayton, but uh, the nuns in Toledo were the last group of nuns that we saw, and this is where ultimately, I don't know if I've shared this with you, we did get to get into the speak room, mm-hmm. and we got to spend a great deal of time with them, actually, in conversation.
0: Are, are you looking at them behind the grill? They're
1: behind the grill, okay. right, so you you cannot use cameras, uh, you know, um, unless you speak the language. Now, it so happened that the Uh, not the mother prioress, but her Uh, second, if you will, did speak English. So she was able to converse with us. Um, But this is where uh, I'll share this with the community later. This is where I left the books that I brought. Uh, behind with me so I, I had the books of all of our community members all their addresses all their pictures all their oh our member
0: directory yes. you left it with them yes oh our
1: I, asked, I <laughs> asked Father Channing if you would mind if I did this or would they mind if I did this I had taken you all with me to every Mass to every destination that we went to, every cathedral that we walked in, you all were with me because you were in my backpack. Mm-hmm. And during mass, it took two or three masses, and eventually somebody came up and said, Mark, what are you doing when we go to Mass? <laughs> I said, Well, that's my community. You know, I also had a picture of my family, by the way. But but um, I asked Father Towning, would he mind if, if I did this? He went after Mass. Of course, we can't see the nuns during Mass, they're off on the side right. of the chapel. And he went and spoke with them and said, you know, this young man has these. And would you mind? And he wants you to pray for this community. And it happens to be in Ohio, which isn't far from Toledo in Ohio.
2: Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So he was trying
1: to draw a connection. (laughs) And so later we all worked our way up into the speak room where you're allowed to interface with with the sisters. Not everywhere, by the way, but in Toledo, our last uh, visit, uh, they were very enthusiastic to speak with us. And they said, you know, who are these people? Somebody explain to us who are these people. So I was called to the front of the group of 30 and, um, mother spoke to me in English and she was asking me, you know, who are these? And I'm explaining to her who they all were and, you know, what the significance of this was. And, um, I, you know, had placed the books down on the counter and before she walked away, she swept them (laughs) back into the cage uh, (laughs) behind the grill. And, and I asked through Father Chowney, I said, you know, will they, would they mind establishing a relationship and continuing to pray for our community? Oh, and my. he said, oh, they'll be thrilled to do that. Oh so, my. So we, we have the sisters in Toledo, Spain, uh, praying for our community on a continuous basis. And um, I, I have to tell you, um, there were tears streaming down my eyes when I left that speak room uh-huh. um, and the next night, just to conclude this story, the next night at dinner, uh, we were sitting in tables of eight. And we started playing. It was the last night we were going to be in, in – um, actually, two nights later, we were going to be in Madrid. We were in Madrid that night. And we have the conversation about, you know, what was the highlight of uh, the, the trip and so on and so forth. And to a person, at least at our table, um, the comment was – when mark put the pictures of his family <laughs> and community through the the uh, grail and the sisters took it and said that they would pray for him oh yes uh, it was a very it was a very significant moment so oh goodness uh, but, but, but but again just to close that out the linkage of carmel not being a place this mystical connection to our mother and our father and the connection between this one young uh carmelite traveling on a pilgrimage to a faraway land and and being introduced to our sisters our parents in a large way in Toledo and they're agreeing yes we will pray for you we will enfold you in our uh, uh, our daily encounter with God and we will remember you and we will lift you up Mm -hmm. there is something about that that is so powerful um, and, mm. and I think is something that our world today desperately needs this connection, uh, in people in seeing Christ and other people and praying for each other, this intercessory uh, prayer across our globe, uh, to address what I think are so many, uh, you know, um, issuances of darkness and we need to bring light into that darkness.
0: All right. I have one more question for you. Can we continue this conversation <laughs> next week?
1: <laughs> sure. I'd be I'd be happy to do that. I have
0: that. more questions. I want to hear about Teresa's heart and um you know, just the Yeah, the sense I really of,
1: didn't touch the uh, surface. Yeah, on yeah. We, we've got more and
0: more to learn. So um yeah. but I, I do have a closing prayer and then I'd like you if if there's a moment to to make the final statement here. But let's close with this prayer. It is from John of the Cross, um, the the living flame. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit Amen awaken and enlighten us my lord that we might know and love the blessings which you ever proposed to us and that we, we might understand that you have moved to bestow favors on us and have remembered us in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit amen
1: well francis if there's one comment i'd make it's actually a repeat of one i made a little earlier in the in the uh, discussion the conversation I come away from this 11 days in Spain and the introduction to the most significant historical um, locations associated with our order. Of our Discast Carmelites uh, uh, Of the Discast order. With this challenge, um, our mother and father, St. Teresa of Avila, St. John of the Cross, set a foundation for us in more ways than one. Yeah. Um, they established expectations of their children. I saw that played out in a Carmel in Toledo and felt in a very powerful way the mystical connection between all of us. And I think um, we as Carmelites have a mission and a role to play in this world that is linked to our mystical heritage. It is not simply uh, to go out and, and make ourselves holy, though that's part of it. It is not simply to be doing good works, though that's part of it. But there's a mystical aspect to the role that Carmel is expected to play in the world and the role that we're expected to play in this world, the one that we are Uh, living in and 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 defending if you will and i felt that call coming back uh, from spain in a very powerful way i think we're just beginning to understand in our little community that you helped uh, and largely championed the establishment of we're just beginning to feel and experience the responsibility that is being leveled against us as carmelites to literally change the world
0: Awesome. Well, I think we have to talk about that some more next week. So thank you, Mark, for sharing so wonderfully with us. And I know that we're going to be tuning in next week to hear more. So let's bid you all good night and come back next week. Seven o'clock Monday nights, Eastern Standard Time. God bless. Listening to Radio Maria, a
2: Christian voice in your home. The program you just heard was a rebroadcast of Carmelite Conversations.